How many of you were alive in 1980? How many of you remember where you were on May 18th, 1980? My parents were leaving church in Yakima and they walked outside and this is the sight that they saw in their city. My mom later wrote, in the distance the sky was like a black billowing curtain. Lightning strikes looked like they were coming from heaven. When they struck, they just held on to the earth and sizzled. And of course, we were talking about the eruption of Mount St. Helens. That triggered the largest landslide in recorded history. Within minutes, the mountain went from this to this. killed about 230 square miles all around it, and it killed 57 people as well. It was catastrophic. A year later, my brother-in-law, Dan, and I decided we wanted to go camping in that area. We just wanted to see what it looked like one year on, and it was surreal. When you looked at the forest, and we'd been there before when all of the trees were standing, but it was like a giant had taken a comb and just swept the trees off in all in one direction. The devastation was just breathtaking. And devastation is the theme that we are going to discover as we continue in our journey through this Advent series looking at the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah predicted a time in Israel's future that would be devastating. He predicted their destruction at the hands of the Babylonians. He predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that their temple would be leveled, that their walls would be torn down, and that their people would be kidnapped and taken off hundreds of miles away into exile. All of that came to pass, and it was breathtaking devastation. Perhaps even more devastating, though, for these folks was the loss of God's promise. God had promised all along that one day He was going to send them a new king, a better king. The Hebrew word for that king was Messiah. And they were looking for this. He would be a a super version of King David. And this king was going to come and he was going to make all things right in this broken world. But now that hope was gone. Jerusalem was gone. The temple was gone. The wall was gone. And the promises of God apparently, those were gone too. Or were they? On our camping trip, one year after the eruption, Dan and I were astounded to discover that in the midst of absolute devastation, we began to see little green shoots that were popping up out of the ash-covered ground. It was an amazing triumph of life over death, over devastation. And that is exactly the glimpse that Isaiah offers to us of Israel's future. Turns out that God has not forgotten His promise. And out of the devastation of that war and exile, there's going to spring forth a renewed hope of Messiah. We turn this morning to, as I like to call, the Gospel of Isaiah, chapter 11. Turn with me, if you will, and keep it open. We're going to look at it throughout the, tech, the sermon this morning. Isaiah chapter 11, we'll start with the verses, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse... And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, 
the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you be with us now? Would you speak your word to us from these words of Isaiah, that we might hear your spirit at work in our life this day? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any of you have holly trees in your yard? Any of you ever tried to get rid of a holly tree in your yard? It is impossible. I have a holly tree. I have cut that sucker down to the nub with my chainsaw. I have ruined my chainsaw blade trying to get it down low enough. But every year, miraculously, up comes another holly right out of that stump. I think that Isaiah had holly trees. He says, there shall come forth a stump, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse, as you likely remember, was the father of David, the greatest of all of the kings of Israel. And God had promised all along, though, that he, he was going to raise up a new and better king from the destructed, destroyed, the devastated lineage of Jesse, better even than David. And Isaiah imagines with us what this reign is going to look like. He describes for us the reign of this superior king, and it starts in verse 3. And I want you to listen carefully, because I think there's going to be one word that jumps out that describes the reign of the Messiah, the rule and reign of the Messiah. Beginning verse 3, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. I wonder if there's a word that springs to mind as you listen to Isaiah's prophetic words there. He talks about this upcoming Messiah, this Messiah who has been promised, and he's going to come, and he says, this Messiah's king, Messiah's king's judgment, is, it will not be arbitrary, he says. It will be fair. The poor and the weak and the meek and the nobodies of the earth, this king is going to treat with equity. The wicked of the world, they will feel his wrath. And with righteousness and faithfulness, he is going to reign justly. What is the word that describes that kind of reign? Because this wasn't the norm. And as a matter of fact, down through human history, this has never been the norm. Those who rise to power, often in the name of the, the little guy, inevitably once they arrive at power, they cling to that power by subjugating the weak and the poor and the helpless. One chapter earlier, Isaiah describes exactly this kind of wicked leadership of those who are in power who turn aside the needy from justice. They rob the poor of my people of their right that the widows may be their spoil, that they may make their fatherless their prey. Think of what he's saying there. These are kings who rip off the widows. These are rulers who prey on orphans. How vile is that? How wrong is that? In this Advent season, we are considering the longings of our human heart. And I wonder, what is the longing that is stirred in you when you read these words from the prophet? 
When we hear of oppression or abuse or neglect that should be dealt with but isn't because of the iniquity of those in power, what is it that we cry out for? Justice, right? Say it. That is what we cry out for. That is what the world cries out for, the longing for justice. The Advent candle that was lit today was the candle of justice. I'll bet you've never heard of an Advent candle of justice. Normally, it's love, joy, peace, and hope. Love, joy, peace, and hope. Love, joy, peace, and hope. Does justice even belong in that group? And honestly, I wasn't sure whether we should fiddle with this Advent tradition. And then I talked to my daughter, the Rev. Rachel, and she reminded me that there is even more ancient tradition than ours. In the medieval church, the Advent themes, as the church approached Christmas, the Advent themes were focused on what they called the last things. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Advent talks not only about the coming of Jesus, but the second coming when Christ will return in power. And so the medieval church would focus on the last things. A thousand years ago, if you were sitting in this church, a thousand years ago, the Advent candles weren't love, joy, peace, and hope. They were, are you ready? The medieval Advent candles were death, judgment, hell, and heaven. Merry Christmas! (laughs) Rachel calls these the heavy metal liturgical calendar. Today is day three. What would that be then? What candle? The hell candle. Yes, the hell candle. How'd you like to be the family assigned one? This morning we light the candle of hell. The point is that the hallmark Advent themes of love, joy, peace, and hope have not always been, and they are not written in stone. And frankly, as we think about the second coming of Christ, don't we long for His justice? Don't we long for Him to make things right? Haven't we had enough of the injustice of this world? Enough of those who claw their way to power, and then once they are there, create laws to control others, laws by which they will not live. That is the very definition of injustice. The two most prominent families in American politics are both embroiled in legal battles. And whatever side of the aisle you are on, are you confident that Lady Justice is really blind? That justice really will be done when so much is at stake politically? One of the universal outrages of children is the cry, that's not fair. It's the protest heard around the world, isn't it? That's not fair. In every language spoken, and the typical parental response is, you know the answer. Life's not fair. But don't we wish it were? Don't we long for a life to be fair? Don't we want rules that apply to all people? Don't we long for the poor and the weak and the oppressed and the forgotten to be lifted up and for the brutes and tyrants of history to be judged and taken out? So maybe justice should be one of the regular Advent readings because the coming of the Messiah Jesus ushered in a new age of justice. When he preached his inaugural sermon in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, He actually was preaching from the Gospel of Isaiah, chapter 61, and he used that moment to describe his revolutionary mission statement. 
Here's what Jesus said to his hometown crowd. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, we are told, and he outraged his hometown crowd when he declared today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying, I know you've been waiting for the Messiah. Well, ta-da, here I am. And his call to justice so angered the hometown crowd that they took him out and tried to throw him off a cliff. Turns out that the status quo often doesn't want justice. They like things the way they are. One of the most frightening and discouraging things about our culture today is, I think, the deadening of the sense of justice. A shared community sense of what is right and wrong. It is deadened. It is becoming dense. Mobs pillage stores and nothing is done about it. That's not just. Criminals race away in a car and the police are helpless to do anything about it. That's not just. Mental illness and drug abuse drives people into homelessness, but we aren't allowed by law to address those core issues. Instead, we warehouse them in tent cities that are rife with disease and crime and abuse. That's not just. Christians in North Korea and Yemen and other thug states are brutalized and martyred for their faith. Israelis are kidnapped and raped and tortured, yet their captors receive worldwide sympathy. Ivy League presidents expel students if they use the wrong pronouns, but can't bring themselves to admit that the calling for the extermination of Jews is wrong. Where's the justice in that? Maybe... So maybe justice ought to be one of our Advent candles, because it is certainly the clarion call of the prophets, and it was unquestionably the focus of Jesus' ministry. To whom did the Lord minister? It was the widow. It was the leper, the tax collector, the down and out, the broken and oppressed and demonic, the despairing and the hopeless. Jesus' entire ministry was one of justice. And then the prophetic glimpse that, that Isaiah gives us of his second coming reveals a blessed day when all things will be made right. When his judgment, his righteous judgment will prevail, wickedness will be expunged, and the victims of this world are vindicated. That is what the kingdom of God should and one day will look like. And we evangelicals need to include justice as one of our Advent readings because we tend to foist these matters off on the progressives, on our more liberal brothers and sisters. We even pick and choose our Bible verses depending upon which aisle, side of the aisle we find ourselves. One author suggests that liberal Christians tend to focus on the justice teachings of Jesus and ignore Paul's call to holiness. Evangelicals interpret passages spiritually and personally. Liberals interpret them politically and socially. We are reading the same Bible. Surely there is a balance to be found. 
Is it not possible for us to hold faithfully to the lordship of Jesus, the centrality of the cross, fidelity to scripture, holiness of living, and at the same time care deeply for for justice as the Lord Jesus did? I say it is. And I will confess also that this is not my forte. I am, I am the typical evangelical boomer pastor. I have focused my ministry on evangelism, on bringing people to Christ, on personal discipleship, on growing the church. My instincts don't tend toward justice. And I was reminded of this the other day when Cindy and I were walking and talking about this message, and I could not recall the most famous passage in the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. How is it that I have memorized hundreds of passages of Scripture, but this piercing call to justice, this one eludes me? The prophet Amos, famously quoted by Dr. King, declared, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The prophets could not be clearer, and the Lord Jesus could not be clearer. He longs for God's justice to be done in this world. What do you think he means when he teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a cry for justice, and he expects his people to champion that cause. I will say, as a church, despite my leanings, we have continued to grow in this area. You heard some reports of it even today. We do support wonderful world partners who work for justice in the most dire of places. We were one of the first supporters of the International Justice Mission. Our Beyond These Walls Fund is in many ways a justice fund. This is the fund that you support through your giving. We provide food for the hungry and housing for the homeless and healing for the addicted and support for widows and orphans. And that is a good thing. That is a good start. I am glad that we are bucking the evangelical trend. But the call to justice is not something that we can outsource Every one of us should be a minister of justice in our own lives. And yet again, as I confess, I fall short. It is easy for me to give money to our church or to do a service project with our church. But are my eyes open to those who are suffering injustice right around me? As I confess, this is a growth area for me, and perhaps it is for you as well. So where do we start? How do we become more attuned to the injustice that is right around us and engaged in addressing it. And I think the secret starts with the first half of the reading we read earlier. And I want to remind you where Isaiah felt this call to justice began. Here's what he wrote about the new and better Messiah King. He wrote, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So why would this new king usher in a reign of justice? What would be different about this new king than all of the previous kings? Well, four times we are told. Did you see it? What's the answer? 
The Spirit of the Lord. Did you see it? The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Justice will come when the Spirit of Almighty God rests upon his people with power. It is only that Holy Spirit who can turn our hearts from self-centeredness and self-absorption and self-satisfaction and self-sufficiency to being able to notice and care for the needs of those who are lesser or lower than we are in the societal pecking order. Do you remember what the word Messiah actually means? The Hebrew word Messiah. Do you know what it means? It means the anointed one. The anointed one. Every ancient king was anointed with oil. It represented the Spirit of God. That anointing, that falling down of the Spirit gave him the power and the right to do what God called him to do. Do you know what the word Messiah is in the Greek language? Christ. Christ, that means the anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his calling. It is Jesus who is the anointed one. Jesus who is the one upon whom the Holy Spirit has fallen. And so here's what I want us to remember on this Advent Sunday. That same Spirit has fallen upon every follower of Jesus. That's how we became Christians. The Spirit of the living God came to dwell within us. We are literally little sea Christs. Every one of us is a little C Christ, a little C anointed one. And because that Holy Spirit has come upon us, it is possible for us to have the eyes to see injustice, the heart to loathe it, and the courage to fight back. And so I ask you this day, what is that Spirit speaking to your spirit? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is God calling you to do to fight injustice? Make it personal. Who is the the broken or oppressed or forgotten or under-resourced or neglected person in your life? Who needs justice? I've started a new spiritual practice. This might be nothing new for some of you, but for me, I felt like I have got to start my day attuning my heart to the Lord's Spirit. And so what I do now is I, I roll out of bed onto the floor. And, I, and on, from my knees, I pray the Lord's Prayer every morning. And I particularly focus on some aspect of it, but especially what I'm saying is this. Your kingdom come in my life today. Your will be done in my life today. I, I don't want to live my day apart from the guidance and the empowerment of the anointing of the, Lord, of the Holy Spirit. Cindy and I have been talking about this because together, as we've considered this, we have felt convicted in our own lives. What do we need to do personally to reach out to those who are who don't have justice in their lives. In fact, we have come up with a specific plan. We're going to reach out to a specific person, and we, and, and we actually prayed separately about this, and we're led to this exact same person and the exact same response. We think that's the Holy Spirit. And I invite you to do the same. In this season, when we are handing out all kinds of gifts to each other, perhaps the greatest gift that we could offer would be a taste of justice To those who have cried out to the Lord for so long, life's not fair, and they're right. So, beloved, little C, Christ, anointed ones, you do something about it.
Holy Spirit, I pray your renewed anointing upon our life right now. I pray that we would, in this day, be reminded that we are little C Christs. We are anointed ones, and we have been called to help your kingdom come and your will be done. Not to fob it off on others, not to assume that the government will take care of it, or even that the church will take care of it, but to have our eyes open to see the injustice around us and say, how would God have me lean in to that? I pray that we will be that kind of person today, that your spirit will call us to the courage it requires to speak out, to act out against the injustice that surrounds us. And when we do that, may the name of Jesus be raised up and glorified, for we offer it in his name. Amen. together. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn.